This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I come as one, but I speak as many. I bring with me today my family, James E. Bush, Vera Bush Whitley, Ulysses Blakeney, Clifton Blakeney, and generations of black men and women who have labored on this land, who have fought for this country, and to whom our country is deeply indebted. My story is a story of survival. It is a story of my ancestors who were enslaved in Mississippi and South Carolina. It is a story of the great migration, the mass migration of 6 million African Americans out of the rural South. When white farmers traveled to the West in search of land, they were granted 160 acres of free land through the Homestead Act. My family was denied the promise, denied the promise of 40 acres and a mule in the aftermath of the Civil War and the start of of Reconstruction. My story is the story of a great-grandfather who served this country in World War I and a grandfather who served this country in World War II, only to be discarded by their government as they suffered through trauma and the wounds of war. When white soldiers came back from fighting abroad, they were given housing preferences and education subsidies. My grandfathers, Ulysses and Clifton Blakeney, were denied those benefits. My story is a story of men and women who fled violence, who were stripped of their rights and protections, who were left out of GI bills and New Deal subsidies. The violence my family withstood from one generation to the next was not isolated. It was systemic. It was structural. It was political, backed by legislation passed by this very body to deny descendants of enslaved people economic and social opportunity. Underlying the generational trauma and exploitation is a government that abandoned its role to protect its own citizens, a government that refused to even acknowledge the humanity of my ancestors, a government that to this day refuses to acknowledge or atone for the wrongdoings of white supremacist violence. The federal government must account for its ongoing role in perpetuating, supporting, and upholding white supremacy. Nowhere do we need common ground more desperately than in our discussions of race. I have experienced the pain of discrimination. I know what it feels like to be pulled over for no reason, to be followed around the store while I'm shopping. I remember every morning at the kitchen table, my grandfather would open the newspaper and read it, I thought. But later I realized he had never learned to read it. He just wanted to set the right example. I've also experienced a different kind of intolerance. I get called Uncle Tom and the N-word by progressives, by liberals. Just last week, a national newspaper suggested my family's poverty was actually privilege because a relative owned land generations before my time. Believe me, I know firsthand our healing is not finished.
Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power. One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening and thank you for being here at Our Common Ground, the sanctuary for black truth in America. So glad to have you. Uh, We're getting, uh, our board is filling up and we're getting everybody seated. If you'd like to join our chat room, you can come to blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG, and we will uh, provide you with front row seats and the discussion uh, during this live broadcast. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we've had quite a week, you know. Wait, let me just say this. Y'all, we have had quite a week. The hits just keep on coming. And we keep holding our nose, and some of us keep putting our fingers in our ears, and other, others of us walk around with uh, dark-tinted eyeglasses and drive around in dark-tinted cars and ask the question, what the hell? So tonight in this open mic, uh, we're going to be talking about black political hustlers, all this tap dancing and all this soul corrosion um, that is going on in America, specifically targeted straight at us. So tonight we're going to try to get through the matter of Tim Scott as the drum major of the tap dancing and soul corrosion and he gets this week's worst person he said in his GOP rebuttal of President Biden's address on Wednesday to Congress I get called Uncle Tom and the n-word by progressives I know firsthand our healing is not finished And that was after he said the one thing that contradicts what he said about America is not racist, and then he said some more that contradicts that. He outlined his entire personal history, and his grandfather couldn't read. And uh, this man was just a bunch of contradictions. And then later on in 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 the in the next day he I mean in later on in his speech he said, Hear me clearly. Now this is a quote. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. That is the US Senator Tim Scott. Tim Timothy Eugene Scott uh rebuttal to President Joe Biden this week. He is an American politician. 
and a businessman serving as the junior U.S. Senator for South Carolina, and he has been serving since he was appointed in 2013 uh, to the U.S. Senate by then-Governor Nikki Haley. And yes, he is black. What Tim Scott did was not brave. It was not honest, and it was not leadership. On behalf of the GOP, on behalf of the corrupt Republicans of the GOP, he lied to the American people. And he lied for a Republican Party that neither values nor respects him. Up until he became useful during the Trump era, when black people turned Georgia blue, he was essentially invisible. But my question tonight to you and what we what I'd like to engage you in a conversation because I really believe that Tim Scott this week has caught our attention and has willfully without apology become a weapon against democracy for justice for a weapon in regard to voter suppression and the Jim Crow Confederacy members of Congress. He lied How does a black man relieve himself of all dignity and his own history? That's a question for you. What life experiences lent themselves to this man that he could, before the entire nation, renounce the truth about his black experience and align himself with races who have no 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 honor for his black manhood how does a black man compromise the essence of this his strength to act against the interests of his family his family's history his family's future his constituents and any possibility of a liberated black future. When he speaks of healing, does he recognize himself in that vision? Just what does what 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 is the price that he and other black traders in America pay? What is the price that we pay, we who believe and trust our struggle. He is a prime example 
of how we vote for people who say they like us, despite their history and despite our own interests. Let me pose this question to you. If you were from another galaxy and had come to investigate systemic racism in the U.S., what might you look for as circumstantial evidence of its existence? Might you start with blacks and whites' relative well-being with regard to things like wealth, occupational status differences, and earnings differentials? I realize you might say that gaps in these categories don't prove racism, and I'll come back to that later on uh, tonight in this broadcast. But at the very least, if there were systemic racism, we would expect to see those gaps, right? And the question is, would you consult the black senator from South Carolina? Tonight, I want to... I want to explore with you uh, something uh, you know we need to say it I want to explore with you the impact of black traders because we have a White House we have a congressional house leadership that has allowed this traitor to penetrate to become leadership of part of part of a new era of civil rights he is actually part of the leadership that will define the U.S. policy on police behavior and police reform. And on police, finally, the most important part, police accountability. But he does not seem to understand our number is 347-838-9852, and what we are going to do is we are going to share with you right now um, more of what Tim Scott had to say. And, and, and one of the reasons that I think, and I want to hear from you whether you think that Tim Scott is probably one of the most dangerous black men in America on May 1st, 2021. And by the way, welcome to May Day. May Day is a day that we celebrate um, working people. I don't know if you knew that or not. And I'm, I'm going to share with you what Tim Scott had to say. We we also will entertain what agenda items that you might have. Our number 
Write it down, 347-838-9852. You cannot send me any more email about how I don't give the number enough uh, to call in. But, you know, I usually start this program uh, for the last um, maybe uh, 15 months with numbers about the COVID pandemic. Uh, looking at hospitalizations, looking at uh, active cases, and and in the last three months, looking at vaccination statistics. But tonight, I am going to um, be looking at something different. We're starting something new. We're going to be looking at police shooting and the database. Uh, As of April 27th, 985 people have been shot and killed by police in the past year. Uh, The Washington Post began uh, a log of fatal shootings by an on-duty police officer in the United States, and in that time there have been more than 5,000 such shootings as recorded by the Post uh, since 2015. After Michael Brown, an unarmed black man, was killed in 2014 by police in Ferguson, Missouri, Um, The Washington Post engaged in an investigation which found that the FBI undercounted fatal police shootings by more than half. Despite the unpredictable events that lead to fatal shootings, police nationwide have shot and killed almost the same number of people annually, nearly 1,000, since 2015. Black Americans are killed at a much higher rate than white Americans, and we all know this. Although half of the people shot and killed by police are white, black Americans are shot at a disproportionate rate. They account for less and 13% of the U.S. population but are killed by police more than twice the rate of white Americans. Hispanic Americans are also killed by police at a disproportionate rate. Most victims are young and male. Over 95% are male. More than half the victims are between the ages of 20 and 40. So we're going to really be honing in on those statistics as a new part of um, our opening. And um, because I, I really think that we have got to think through, as I said last week, we've really got to start thinking through exactly how we analyze the proposals before us on police accountability, um, qualified um, 
qualified nothing is what we ought to be looking for. So our number is 347-838-9852, and let's start talking about the black traders and how I, w- I want you to listen with a, a, a real ear to uh, exactly what he is saying here and how he has couched the white supremacist agenda in his rebuttal. If you're just joining us, we're talking about black political hustlers, tap dancing, and soul corrosion. Just how do black people get to this point? Nowhere do we need common ground more desperately than in our discussions of race. I just wish he did see common ground. I the pain of discrimination. I know what it feels like to be pulled over for no reason to be followed around the store while I'm shopping. I remember every morning at the kitchen table, my grandfather would open the newspaper and read it, I thought. But later I realized he had never learned to read it. He just wanted to set the right example. I've also experienced a different kind of intolerance. I get called Uncle Tom and the N-word by progressives, by liberals. Just last week, A national newspaper suggested my family's poverty was actually privilege because a relative owned land generations before my time. Believe me, I know firsthand our healing is not finished. In 2015, after the shooting of Walter Scott, I wrote a bill to fund body cameras. Last year, after the deaths of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, I built an even bigger police reform proposal. But my Democratic colleagues blocked it. I extended an olive branch. I offered amendments. But Democrats used a filibuster to block the debate from even happening. My friends across the aisle seemed to want the issue more than they wanted a solution. But I'm still working. I'm hopeful that this will be different. When America comes together, we've made tremendous progress. But powerful forces want to pull us apart. A hundred years ago, kids in classrooms were taught the color of their skin was their most important characteristic. And if they looked a certain way, they were inferior. Today, kids are being taught that the color of their skin defines them again. And if they look a certain way, they're an oppressor. From colleges to corporations to our culture, people are making money and gaining power by pretending we haven't made any progress at all. By doubling down on the divisions, we've worked so hard to heal. You know this stuff is wrong. Hear me clearly. America is not a racist country. It's backwards to fight discrimination with different types of discrimination. And it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. I'm an African-American who's voted in the South my entire life. I take voting rights personally. Republicans support making it easier to vote and harder to cheat. And so do the voters. Big majorities of Americans support early voting and big majorities support voter ID, including African-Americans and Hispanics. 
common sense makes common ground. But today, this conversation has collapsed. The state of Georgia passed a law that expands early voting, preserves no-excuse mail-in voting, and despite what the president claimed, did not reduce Election Day hours. If you actually read this law, it's mainstream. It will be easier to vote early in Georgia than in Democrat-run New York. But the left doesn't want you to know that. They want people virtue signaling by yelling about a law they haven't even read. Fact checkers have called out the White House for misstatements. The president absurdly claims that this is worse than Jim Crow. What is going on here? I'll tell you, a Washington power grab. This misplaced outrage is supposed to justify Democrats' new sweeping bill that would take over elections for all 50 states. It would send public funds to political campaigns you disagree with and make the bipartisan Federal Elections Commission partisan. This is not about civil rights or our racial past. It's about rigging elections in the future. And no, the same filibuster that President Obama and President Biden praised when they were senators, the same filibuster that the Democrats used to kill my police reform bill last year has not suddenly become a racist relic just because the shoe is now on the other foot. Race is not a political weapon to settle every issue the way one side wants. It's far too important. This should be a joyful springtime for our nation. This administration inherited a tide that had already turned. The coronavirus is on the run. Thanks to Operation Warp Speed in the Trump administration, our country is flooded with safe and effective vaccines. Thanks to our bipartisan work last year, job openings are rebounding. So why do we feel so divided, anxious? A nation with so much cause for hope should not feel so heavy laden. A president who promised to bring us together should not be pushing agendas that tear us apart. The American family deserves better, and we know what better looks like. Just before COVID, we had the most inclusive economy in my lifetime, the lowest unemployment rates ever recorded for African Americans, Hispanics, and Asians, and a 70-year low nearly for women. Wages were, hear me, wages were growing faster at the bottom than at the top. The bottom 25% saw their wages go up faster than the top 25%. That happened because Republicans focused on expanding opportunity for all Americans. In addition to that, we passed Opportunity Zones, criminal justice reform, and permanent funding for historically black colleges and universities for the first time ever. We fought the drug epidemic rebuilt our military, and cut taxes for working families and single moms like the one that raised me. Our best future will not come from Washington schemes or socialist dreams. It will come from you, the American people, black, Hispanic, white, and Asian, Republican and Democrat, brave police officers in black neighborhoods. We are not adversaries. We are family. We are all in this together and 
we get to live in the greatest country on earth, the country where my grandfather in his 94 years saw his family go from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. So I am more than hopeful. I am confident that our finest hour is yet to come. Original sin is never the end of the story, not in our souls and not for our nation. The real story is always redemption. I am standing here because my mom has prayed me through some really tough times. I believe our nation has succeeded the same way because generations of Americans in their own ways have asked for grace and God has supplied it. So I will close. This is Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I come as one, but I speak as many. I bring with me today my family, James E. Bush, Vera Bush Whitley, Ulysses Blakeney, Clifton Blakeney, and generations of black men and women who have labored on this land, who have fought for this country, and to whom our country is deeply indebted. My story is a story of survival. It is a story of my ancestors who were enslaved in Mississippi and South Carolina. It is a story of the great migration, the mass migration of 6 million African Americans out of the rural South. When white farmers traveled to the West in search of land, they were granted 160 acres of free land through the Homestead Act. My family was denied the promise, denied the promise of 40 acres and a mule in the aftermath of the Civil War and the start of, of Reconstruction. My story is the story of a great-grandfather who, who served this country in World War I and a grandfather who served this country in World War II, only to be discarded by their government as they suffered through trauma and the wounds of war. When white soldiers came back from fighting abroad, they were given housing preferences and education subsidies. My grandfathers, Ulysses and Clifton Blakeney, were denied those benefits. My story is a story of men and women who fled violence, who were stripped of their rights and protections, who were left out of GI bills and New Deal subsidies. The violence my family withstood from one generation to the next was not isolated. It was systemic, it was structural, it was political, backed by legislation passed by this very body to deny descendants of enslaved people economic and social opportunity. Underlying the generational trauma and exploitation is a government that abandoned its role to protect its own citizens, a government that refused to even acknowledge the humanity of my ancestors, a government that to this day refuses to acknowledge or atone for the wrongdoings of white supremacist violence. The federal government must account for its ongoing role in perpetuating, supporting, and upholding white supremacy. And tonight I've chosen U.S. Representative from Missouri, Sister Cori Bush to rebut 
Tim Scott of South Carolina who chose uh, to be dishonest, to lie to the American people on behalf of the Republican Party that neither values nor respects him. And I am asking you, and our our phones are open, how does a black man relieve himself of all dignity in his own history? What life experiences have lent him to renounce the truth about his black experience and ally himself with races who have no honor for his black manhood? And how does a black man compromise the essence of his strength to act against the interests of his ancestors, his family's history, the future of his children, constituents, and a liberated future to be so weaponized against black people? And I, I, I pose the question, when he speaks of healing, does he recognize himself in that vision? Does he recognize the wisdom and insight that Cory Bush, Representative Cory Bush, offers us? What price does he pay? What price do we pay as he is weaponized? He's a prime example of how we vote for people we like despite they have they do not have our interests at heart. And and let me say this. I want to debunk this whole damn thing um about Uncle Tom. Yeah, uh, today, nobody wants to be called an Uncle Tom, but 150 years ago, it was a compliment. In Harriet Beecher Stowe's abolitionist novel, Uncle Tom's Cabin, Uncle Tom is a martyr, not a sellout. His devotion to his fellow slaves is so unshakable that he sacrifices a chance for freedom and ultimately his life to help them. So these people are not reading the book. How did a term of high praise become the ultimate black-on-black insult? Until recently, uh, scholars believed that Uncle Tom was first used as an epithet in 1919, by Reverend George McGuire, a supporter of the radical black nationalist Marcus Garvey. And for those who who you do not understand, Uncle Tom was a real man. She is not writing a, a, a character. He was a real man. And when Reverend George... Um, Alexander McGuire uh, addressed the first convention of the Universal Negro Improvement Association, which was Marcus Garvey's organization. He declared this, and I quote, 
The Uncle Tom nigger has got to go, and his place must be taken by the new leader of the Negro Lace. Not a black man with a white heart, but a black man with a black heart. And that is exactly how this whole thing uh, got started about calling black people Uncle Tom's. But the irony of Uncle Tom's change in meaning was how far whites lagged behind. At the time that Uncle Tom was becoming an undesirable model for many in the black community, the Daughters of the Confederacy lobbied Southern legislatures to outlaw the performance of Uncle Tom's Cabin because they insisted the play slandered the South. Southern whites didn't want Uncle Tom in their towns, but neither, as it turned out, did Northern blacks. So we need to we need to debunk this whole idea. Um, and and Tim Scott, in so many places here, simply had simply made a decision to lie to spread propaganda, and to tout the white supremacy agenda of the Republican, on behalf of the Republican Party. Black traitors become weaponized. Our number is 347-838-9852. And uh, I promised Alpho, I know you all think I favor Alpho, but I promised Alpho that last night when he let me talk on his show um, that I would allow him to be the first caller in on this topic. I mean, one of the things that we, we do have to understand is that Tim Scott now is the point man on issues related to police brutality, police accountability. And you and I both know that it is going to be very little that the Democratic leadership and establishment is going to allow uh, any pushback they're going to. You know, one of the things I said about Biden's speech, and I kept saying it over and over on Twitter and on my Facebook page, is simply that you had to listen to the Biden speech and, and wait for the olive branches. So let's get some calls in here. Um, and uh, I'm Alpha hasn't held up his hand yet, so I'm going to go to 312. 312, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Hey, Janice. You're on the air. I am. How music lover. How are you? I am fine. Um, I hope you are, too. Well, at least I was better until I I had to relive that... um, (laughs) <laughs> I know. I kept telling myself all all day today, why are you doing this to yourself? But I think it's important. Go ahead with your comments, House. No, it was painful, and I put myself through that misery uh, Wednesday night, 
um, for, I don't know, um, I, I found myself just, you know, in my own head uh, refuting every sentence and every point he made until I was dizzy because everything he said was off, skewed. It was perpendicular to the truth. It was just, it was nonsensical. Um, and even his, um, what was it, from the cotton field to Congress? Yeah. As though <clears throat> this was the uh, first time that happened. That wasn't, I mean, we had already done that, um, you know, at the emancipation. We had already started um, getting into Congress until, uh-huh. you know, the uh, white masses uh, were let uh, loose on us and basically slaughtered slaughter us and, and wiped us off a uh, 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 pro- prosperous, in, in many places, um, um, opportunity and a, a new beginning. And, um, you know, if you, if you listened over uh, history, 50s and 60s, when we started returning <clears throat> to Congress, um, you know, they would say this is the most people in Congress or in blah, blah, blah since, Emancipation um, since uh, the woman's uh, reconstruction. They say we had already done that before, but in his speech, this is the first time. In his speech, in his mind, for his people, he uh, let's forget about the slaughter after the emancipation. Let's forget about all that, and that's what mm-hmm. the people mm-hmm. he represents want to do. They want to erase all that, and they want it to be. No, the U.S. is not a, a racist country. Of course it's a racist country, still to this day. Um, because if it wasn't, and it wasn't for the, 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 the accrued uh, um, advantage that they created over 400 years and <clears throat> over 150-plus years since emancipation, then maybe there would be a, more of a monicum of, of uh, equality. But it's not because... They made it that way. But, again, for the people mm-hmm. that he represents, they, he, they want to erase all that, and they want to tell you a different story. They want to give you a, 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 a whole new untruthful spin. And it, mm-hmm. that's, that's, mm-hmm. the line I'm thinking about and I'm actually verbalizing it, the speech is that much more disgusting. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's not horrible. It's horrifying. And one of the things that he, you know, aside from his attempt to deliver Barack Obama style, <laughs> which I I had to laugh about, uh, but mm. in being weaponized, what he has done is he has set the foundation for the Republican rejection of H.R. 1, the George Floyd bill. He has done the black explaining, the black apology. Mm. So when the the Republican side of the of the Senate goes after those two bills and rejects them and begins mm-hmm. their drumming of immigration rights. You know, because, you know, here's, here's part of the problem. We need a new civil right. We need new civil rights uh, legislation. And what yep. he has done is he has 
set the foundation, the landscape, to explain to America that there is no room, there is no reason, there is no rationale for moving progressively uh, into a new civil rights era. That's what he's done. Yeah. And 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 we have someone in our chat rooms who's just said it much more succinctly than I did. He put blackface on Trump's reign. Mm. Wow. But let me let me go back and ask you something. One one of the one of the questions I have, um, you know, I I will not repeat what uh, I had a, a long discussion after the rebuttal with a group of people online, and I won't repeat what I said, but you, you, you started off your comments by saying that it was painful. And um, can you ex- expand on what you meant, what kind of, Painful was it? Well, for you as was, a black man, uh, it was on a, a couple, if not a few, um, different levels. Um, just not being as versed, uh, even as versed as you know some of these scholars out here, even such as yourself, on all the history. Um, well, I try not enough. to be a scholar. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a street uh, scholar. Learn it. How about learn it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that... I, I I do want to say I do want to say in response to that, and we'll get to your 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 pain uh, as a black man and listening to this, is that I have been truly blessed since uh, I started radio thirty five years ago. Now uh, I have talked to there are few black thinkers. And think lead and thought leaders, authors, scholars, academicians that I have not. I don't call it. I don't interview people. I have not had a two-hour discussion with. The only person I ever let come on our common ground for less than two hours was the um, Minister Farrakhan, who was able to give me 45 minutes. So that's why I call myself a street scholar. These are the people, uh, Amos Wilson, Naeem Akbar. um, These are the people, Dr. Ben, uh, Leonard Jeffries, James Small. These are the people who have guided me to the information that I need to formulate the basis of the mission of the show. And I, I, I just have to say that I'm just truly blessed by, by that. I mean, there is no one who was living in our times, writing, thinking, Ron Walters, uh, Jesse Jackson, uh, Marion Barry, I mean, the giants, I never I never had a discussion with John Lewis, and, um, but, you know, 
but go ahead. I want you to talk about your pain as a black man, because I found it painful, too. Uh, well, um, uh, just hearing the lies, and I, I think um, I'm big on impact. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the impact of an event, the impact of a, a, a lie. Um, and I think the impact is what was uh, striking me, literally like a, you know, an impact from somebody hitting you, slapping you in the face, yeah. kicking you yeah. in, the, in yeah. the butt, kicking you in the ribs. Mm-hmm. And it was, they were like blows um, mm-hmm. because there was such untruths and they were just so skewed. And uh, you mentioned... Uh, something about um, just kind of forgetting or ignoring or disguising. Dismissing. Dismissing the history, the past. And and it takes a toll. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, just not from the the matter of the misinformation, but the justification of the people he represents is – it, it, they get to say, well, see, he's black and he's forgiven or he doesn't acknowledge or it's okay or, you know, we don't have to be afraid. Of, however they, it is that they justify it or they want to spend it or accept it into their heart, it's wrong. And it's that much further we have to climb, that much higher we have to soar, that much more walking we have to do. Uh, 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 more learning we have to do, more educating we have to do to get the truth out. I mean, yeah. just yeah. that was a beating. That was a pounding. That's the pounding Ali took against Frazier. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, that was, it, was, it was brutal. It was brutal, and it was brutal on many different levels. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I kept thinking to myself as, as, as I was listening with this terrific urge to just hit the mute button, because I know who Tim Scott is, <laughs> you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I could have written that speech for him. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, one of the things that was painful for me was that I have spent my entire adult life working to wherever we are, working to uplift black people and trying to hold up the sky. And here is this man. You know, here is this man who was plucked out of nothing. House Music Lover, you've been with us a long time. Let me try to remind you, I can't think of his name, and maybe Alpha in the chat room can help me out. Um, His cousin, his brother, his cousin used to be part of our group at U.S. Network. Really? Remember? Uh, I can't think of um, his name. Maybe Alpha can think of his name. Every now and then he'll pop his head will pop up. Um, but 
you know, I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking to myself, this man's grandfather and the grandfathers and grandmothers of all his black constituents must be spinning around and trying to understand how he could sell his dignity and the mm. and and the richness of his ancestry in that way i it's something that i i, I you know it's almost like self hate it's like you you know that i went to school with Clarence Thomas, you, you know that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, anyway, well, we didn't go to the same institution. You remember the story. And I always felt that Clarence Thomas was just hated himself so much mm-hmm. for a lot of reasons. You know, it's almost like um, this is a, a part of we saw raw self-hate in action from a man who has chosen to get permission from from white supremacists to be who he is mm-hmm. you, you do you, am I do you get that part yeah, I, I so, totally um, you know, and it's always, you know, I bet he used to drool on himself in kindergarten or something, and the kids, <laughs> and the kids picked on him. <laughs> I, 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 I bet that at some point he, he endured some kind of bullying. Um, mm-hmm. You know. Um, you know how we used to be, especially in the South. It was it was brutal in the South. When you grew up in the South, black people, black kids, it could be brutal. Absolutely. You know, so Absolutely. I, I'm just. But but the other part of it is, he's selling himself, posing himself in that way for trinkets. Yeah, I think you, um, you know, you know Kevin Gray. Um, mm-hmm. You have to hear Kevin Gray is an our him. common ground, uh, uh, our common ground voice. Absolutely, that's the first place I've ever I ever heard um, Kevin Gray in any uh, uh, capacity other than um, Jesse Jackson's first running uh, for presidency. Um, uh-huh. Back when I was in high school, uh, just briefly. That's where that's where but, that's where I met Kevin Gray. Okay. Um, okay. Rainbow Coalition. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where I met Ron Daniels. Rainbow Coalition. Yep. We all. I ran the uh, the Rainbow Coalition campaign in Massachusetts. Okay. So. Well, I've, uh, uh, yeah. I've I've got to give I've give a call to Kevin. Yeah, yeah. Anytime that that brother's on a, a mic, and um, I'm within earshot, radio, internet, or whatever, I make sure I pay attention. But yeah, you have to hear him talk about Tim Scott. You know, being both being South Carolina, um, and he basically said what you said. 
the last time I heard him, which was a couple of days ago, I believe. Um, uh-huh. Yes, it's, it's a level of self-loathing mm-hmm. um, that's so deeply, deep, deep, deeply embedded um, that it's at, at some a at some point. Level. Yeah, at some point, he feels safer with mm-hmm. white people. Yeah, with powerful yep. white people. Um, and look at who pulled up his bootstraps, Nikki Haley, brought him Hmm. right into the Trump circle, brought him right into the Trump circle. Um, Hmm. House Music Lover, thank you for sharing. I've got to go to, um, I'm going to go to break and then take my next call. Um, If you're calling... and and you know if you feel like you you can add more, um, please do. Um, yes, ma'am. And I'm just letting people know in the chat room. I ain't taking no stuff. I ain't going for it. Not tonight. Uh, House music lover, it's so good to have you early in the first hour. Oh wow. Uh uh-uh, uh, no stop, no stop, Jack. Leave me alone. <laughs> We're going to be doing a lot of rebuttals here tonight, not just to listen to Tim Scott, um, but we we uh, I, I really appreciate uh, having you spend some time with us because you usually call the five minutes before time to close up. That was I'm House Music Lover in Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we need you down here in Florida. Because, you know, Michelle, I, I, I do have to say this to you, house music lover. I don't know what I was thinking, but Michelle reminded me that I need to get out of Florida real quick because if Florida secedes from the union, I'm going to be trapped in a, in a, uh, in a um, enemy state. And I won't be able to get out. I heard you say that last night, Janice. I was actually thinking about moving back down there. Uh, I was looking at some places in Jupiter and was seriously thinking about moving back down there, like January. I Um, don't. You know, it never occurred to me because you know this is this is this is my root home, and it never occurred to me that the. Politics would be so inured that you just couldn't live your life and breathe. Never occurred to me. But it's it's some hard stuff down here. It's some hard stuff down here. You you got two blue counties backing you up to the south. It's different than being up in Orlando and Tampa. Um, Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Uh, my family's coming back in here on Friday, and my oldest grandson will be on this trip. He wasn't able to come on the trip week before last. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to sit down and talk to him because I know he's going to be hitting the beaches and, you know, I, you know. Mm-hmm. but 
come on down and visit. Um, maybe by the time you come down here, the sunset, the historical sunset will be open. Mm. <laughs> That's the yeah. talk. That's the talk. Yep. We'll talk. Okay. Thanks, House Music Lover of Chicago, Chi-Town. I'm going to take a break, 646, I see you, 773, I don't see you anymore, but we're going to take this break, and when we come back, we're going to talk some more about rebutting black traders. Thank you for being with us tonight, especially those in the chat room. Manufacturing began to decline precipitously across the country in every major city. Um, Those manufacturing jobs kind of pushed out to the suburbs, but eventually they left the suburbs too. They left the country. But they left the country. (laughs) But but they left the cities first. And where did black people, after Jim Crow, Mm -hmm. and, and where did black people go mostly? To the major cities. Right, right. So you can't tell me that when people like Soul and Owens and other folks like them, the mm. black faces of, and, and can, can we be real honest, mm. Barack Obama? Well, yeah, well he, but see, that, see, this is one of the things that I think we really need to be honest about. Mm-hmm. Come on. Thomas Soul, the Barack Obamas, and, you know, they are actually the evil spawn of the civil rights movement. What do you mean? They are, you know, the, you know, they are the evil spawn of the civil rights movement because what happened is we know that the civil rights movement basically opened the doors for it was a down south it was a middle class black movement. Yeah, yeah. And we understand that a lot of the um, uh, gains and stuff that came, you know, through the civil rights uh, basically was it, it was a middle class um, mm-hmm. uh, advancement. Mm-hmm. The poor black people in the cities didn't gain much from the civil rights movement. You know, what opened the doors of, of, of what this integration was mainly beneficial to the black middle class. So, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you're looking at uh, uh, like the Barack Obamas and all them, and of uh, that ilk, and Kamala Harris, I guess, in, in some sense. You're looking at the children of the the the, the civil rights gen, the the black middle class civil rights generation that um, got theirs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you want to take D.C., got theirs. Um, used the excuse that white folks used and got out of the cities because, oh, God, the poor blacks are rioting, and got got out of these cities, moved out to the suburbs, and, and were willing to pay more than the white folks to move out there. And then what happened is is that now they, they've overcame. And so it was all about forgetting about the systemic um, racism that was being fought throughout the country. Uh-huh. Now it was all about, you know, a meritocracy, a, you know, right. a false sense of instilling right. in their kids that um, um, you know, respectable, respectable politics, mm-hmm. meritocracy, mm. and getting far away from poor black people as you can, um, you know, yeah. to um, be to to basically um, what what is what their goal was is to integrate. You mm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So the, so mm-hmm. so even today, the black masses have not really benefited from from um, from as we see uh, from the civil rights. And and so when you look at Thomas Sowell and a lot of those. That's why I call them the evil spawn of the civil rights movement, because it was the poor black people 
that got the civil, that, that kicked the door open because they was afraid of this. They they seen their cities burning down. Yeah, you didn't that's have middle class black burning down cities. That's true. These true. was these was these was from the project. These were the people that was in the hood. That was that was the foot soldiers, if you want to say that, for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. That was that was basically putting fear, right, mm-hmm. underneath mm-hmm. Un- underneath a lot of these seats of government. And like, yo, you know, look, I'm never going to forget um, that iconic um, uh, picture of all these fires burning around the Capitol building back in 1968 right. after Martin Luther King. Yeah. Now, and Nixon, and this was reported, that Richard Nixon looked out and seen um, um, them fires mm-hmm. and said to Kissinger, he said, they're coming after us. <laughs> put these put these um, buses and stuff around mm-hmm. the White House. He said, they're coming after us. It was straight fear. Yep. That's so, you right. know, but, but those who put the fear in the government and stuff are the same ones that's being blamed for everything now, even though they were the ones who didn't benefit from all of the benefits that a lot of the middle class blacks got from the Come gatekeepers, on the one that we talk about right now. Come on. Ooh, that, and see, that was so good that that got us a new member. Look at that. Uh, Bashi Rose, thank you for becoming a new member. Uh, we appreciate you and Bashi welcome. Bashi Rose, yeah, welcome. <laughs> so, um, I love that you said that, that you laid that out the way you did, because let's, we always talk about, um, you know, how the class struggle must be, the class war must be brutal. Right. And it's got to be brutal among our people, too. Let's, let's not have any illusions that we have to be any nicer mm. to our folks who have uh, a class hatred, because, I, because we don't. Right. The, the class war must be brutal among our people, and we've got to call out these folks like the Soul and the, and, the, and the Candace Owens and the Shelby Fields and that guy who uh, Jesse, is on uh, Fox yeah. News all the time. Oh, Leo Terrell, who is actually um, the attorney, the one that said that, you know, I don't even want to get into it, but, you know, he made the rounds on social media recently because of the Chauvin verdict. And he was saying how um, George Floyd's murder um, was not the result of racism. Uh, you yeah, know? So, yeah. You know, so, but he actually gets the Uncle Ruckus Award for um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, for he April. does. But then, but then I'm thinking of this other older black guy who, whenever he's on Fox News, they always call him a civil rights activist. Always. Uh, Every, I can't remember his name, but when you see them do stuff like this, this, these conservative news outlets, and they have these kind of black folks on there and they identify them as a civil rights activist remember two things what he just said about the class character of the civil rights movement too many folks in the civil rights movement not all but also the way white media in the civil rights movement that they hated back then against the black power movement that grew out of the same projects in the cities that you Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I like the way you work it, all day, every day. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. You're blowing my mind, maybe in time, baby, I can get you in my ride. I like the way you work it. Because our society is only as strong as all its individuals, the United Negro College Fund has helped educate thousands of doctors and researchers, but we need more. 
thousands of architects and engineers, but we need more. Thousands of teachers and biologists, but we need more. And when disease, injustice, pollution, poverty, and countless other problems threaten to pull us apart, we had better educate every single person who has the potential to solve our problems. And to educate more people, we need more of your help. Give to the United Negro College Fund. With so much at stake, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. That what we see before our eyes, the sky is green and the grass is blue. But one thing you can't deny, these people are sabotaging this country. Nothing comes to a sleeper but a dream. Drilling down, just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. This is Alpha, hosting the best of Pushback Talk Radio. The Alpha Show. He's back. The Alpha Show. Underlying the generational trauma and exploitation is a government that abandoned its role to protect its own citizens. A government that refused to even acknowledge the humanity of my ancestors. A government that to this day refuses to acknowledge or atone for the wrongdoings of white supremacist violence. The federal government must account for its ongoing role in perpetuating, supporting, and upholding white supremacy. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. You know, we are people too, but we'd rather die on our feet and keep living on our knees. And now, back to Janice. And thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground, the black sanctuary for black truth. And we try to speak it on every minute that we have. Our number is 347-838-9852. Tonight, Black Political Hustlers, Tap Dancing and Soul Corrosion. We're going to go to our phones right now. 646, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Same here, Janice, same here. Respect you too, sis. Listen, I really don't understand, honestly, why you spend so much time on Tim Scott. That's like that's like mental masturbation. It's that's not because you that, that's because you that's because you tuned in late. You tuned in nah, to nah, say nah. what you want to say in. and you didn't hear I gave a full I gave a five minute explanation of, of, about why we're spending time on his rebuttal. 
Everybody knows what he's saying is a blatant lie. Everybody knows that anybody who believes him is lack of informed, brainwashed, duped. Any other thing you want to say about those individuals, you can reply to that. The real issue is your governor. That's the real issue. I mean, he's doing more harm than Tim Scott will ever do to people. He's placing things in a position to where as it will affect the whole country. What Tim Scott is saying is not going to affect this whole country in the manner in which DeSantis is doing I mean, you know, we get caught up in black folks having to behave and act in a certain way because they black, but then here it is, the white man going about the business at hand is screwing you over, doing all sorts of dirty, dastardly deeds to you and your people, but you worrying about some Negro who's sick in his head. That to me, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't get caught up in people like Tim Scott because he's really not an issue. Because the bottom line is, when white folks want to get rid of them, they'll just get rid of them. That's all. But DeSantis is putting things into place that is reverberating all around the country. And the and sad you don't thing think is, that you don't, that, you, you don't think that, you don't think that Tim Scott is not part of that strategy. Um, no. Not at all. Not at all. Because he's being used. And anybody that has any common sense knows that he's being used because he's not the type of individual that can go in front of everyday black people and everyday black people would not see him other than mush mouse that he is. Evidently, the people that you are ta- touting as having common sense are voting for people like Tim Scott. Uh, no, that's not true. I mean, what well, was how, his, how is he what, a U.S. How many candidate? black folks in South Carolina voted for him? What was his percentage? What was his percentage of black voters that voted for him? That's something that you uh, need to look at. You need to get those numbers because it was white folks who put him in office. It's white folks that kept Lindsey Graham in office. He, you know, I mean, sometimes we think that because we black. We just supposed to chastise men like Tim Scott. Men like Tim Scott, you just ignore. You don't even you don't even address them. You let them do what they do because, in all honesty, if you clear thinking black, you're not gonna listen to Tim Scott. Tim Scott can't influence me to do nothing. But the bottom line is, somebody like DeSantos could do something to hurt. My community and other communities. Tim Scott can't hurt other people's communities. Tim Scott can't do what the Santos is doing in Florida. I mean, and and, and you know, we we look at but he this can man help him and, do it. No, he can't help him do it at all. He can't help him do it at all because all he does is be a symbolic figure of stupidity. 
He's only one voice. One voice. He's only one vote. It's all of the other people that's in play that goes along with it that nobody looks at, that nobody questions. It's like Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin's still not being dealt with. But here it is. We're talking about Tim Scott, but the most pressing thing in this country that black people are facing is HR1, and we ain't even putting together the fight to address that. But we're addressing Tim Scott. See, that's how crazy we are. We allow HR1 to be put in a position to where it's going to be cast aside. Do you not understand? Jay, Jay, take a break. Take a breath. Do you not understand that he is being set up to be the foundational voice for dispensing with H.R. 1, dispensing with the George Floyd Act, dispensing with uh, immigration reform, and touting the apologies and the explanations uh, offering the, the, the propaganda against the voter suppression bills and the Jim Crow bills that are being uh, instituted in 47 states in this country. That's what he was the voice of. Nah, nah, nah. He's not the he's not the voice of that at all. Don't don't let nobody fool you with that Did one you black to man the, has okay, the voice. Okay, Jay, I'm when not arguing with you. Okay, you think he's not, not important? So why are you? I'm just saying it's a collective. It's a collective. You, know, you can't just, have one man step in front of a a a voter a voter block and make him into the boogeyman and the scapegoat artists when there's a whole bunch of other people who are working behind the scenes pulling the strings of that one okay, individual, we, we, and you think that we're not that intelligent to realize that? Come on. We deserve better you, than you, that. But well, the problem is, well, let me, let you know, me, let me just finish let me just, this one point. Let me just finish this one point. The problem you is You think this. because you make the point, it's valid. Go ahead, make I the think, point. I, I think that it's more valid than going after Tim Scott. I think the point of the matter is this. If you don't do anything to get H.R. 1 passed by any means necessary, black folks are going to be in the worst condition moving forward than they are today. And that's just a okay. fact. Okay, Jay. Night. Thanks for your call. Um, I'm done. Okay. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, exactly, you know, it, it's it's always the case with you. Whatever your point is, you're not willing to look at a counterpoint to it. So, you know, that's the way it is. Because that the counterpoint nice. got to be valid. It got to be a valid oh, counterpoint. Okay. And Tim Scott is not valid in my world because he doesn't have enough power to make the type of necessary They're decisions. They're giving him power. He's just being they used. are weaponizing him. What? Do you understand that they are weaponizing him? They're weaponizing him for that their man base. They ain't even intelligent enough to be weaponized. Now, if they were doing oh, it okay. with somebody like a Lindsey Graham, I would yeah. have more fear than I would of Tim Scott. Because, see, Tim Scott it, is just a black man as a visual artist. You're not artist. getting it. You're, you're simply yeah, okay. not getting it. You're, you're, it's a you national. They gave him. They gave him a national forum. We are today. 
We'll be in the yeah. same position okay. two years from now crying and not being in a better position and I being in go, a Jay. worse position. You're talking Have a nonsense. Good night, You're love. talking nonsense. Oh, God. 757, you're on the air. 757? Hello, Miss Graham and the OCG family. Talk to me, Otis. Just talk to me. God damn it. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to try to address what my uh, friend Jay just tried to elaborate. I think he's way off course. Damn. Number one, that man was not just talking to black people. Number two, if you've been paying attention, thank you. If you've been if you've been paying attention since sixteen nineteen project came out, and then you find out that that on the way out the door, I'm going to skip through some things because I don't want to eat a lot of time up. But I'm going to just give you some current events to say why Jay was was saying it's totally wrong. Tim Tim Scott did just what I said to you in the chat. He put black face on all of this stuff, including the Trumpian mess that we got as a result of obstructionism during the Barack Obama time. That's how long this bullshit has been going on. 1619 hit, white folks like Kim Cotton started pushing back with 1776. You know all of that. Some of us follow this stuff, and we look at the forest instead of going in and finding our favorite tree or bra patch. Let me say this. That man just told the bulk of white America that, yes, it is post-racial. Yes, it is colorblind because his little black butt got hand-chosen to usurp politics in his own state, put him in a national forum, and let him tell America there's no reason for reparations, there's no reason to worry about civil rights, there's no reason to worry about voter protection, and Jay has the nerve to say that he can have any impact. You gotta look beyond your wrist and your fingertips. I'm gonna leave it there. Well, Otis, thank you because I think that Tim Scott is the most dangerous black man in America right now. Yes, and and I told you what did I tell you? And they're gonna continue to empower him. They're gonna you you watch when he starts doing the national tour. Let's throw out some more names. If you want to know how bad it is, if you've ever seen any of the Prager U ads, you can tell they've already recruited a whole onslaught of younger black people, primarily immigrants or first generation, saying the very same thing Tim Scott just said to you nationally. Then you can go even further, and if you know anything about the cocaine professor out of Brown, I believe it was, Glenn Lowry, and John McCorder. He used to be at. They are the they are the digital Thomas Sewells and and uh Walter Williams. Alan West They have a complete Patreon thing telling white folks the very same thing that Tim Scott said. So please don't tell me Tim Scott did not have impact because he had an impact on those sixty five percent of white folks and we already know lost cause teaching is prevalent in this nation. I'm gonna stop there, but don't tell me the man had nothing because you think Florida's governor is more impactful. Listen, let me finish with this. I had some other experts arguing with me, telling me about what Republicans are doing. Forty-three states have new laws 
trying to shut down voter rights. Let me ask you something. I'm not an expert here, but I know that somewhere between 23 and 25 Republican-controlled states, meaning they have all three houses, I mean, the, both both Thank chambers you. and the governorship. Then there's about 15 Democratic states. So how do we get 43 damn states doing it? All these Democrats ain't what they claim to be. Peace and love to you. Well, and, 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 show, and you know what? He's opening, Tim Scott opened the portal for bipartisan bullshit. Thank you. For the I white supremacists, the white supremacists embedded in the Democratic Party. That's that what Joe Tim Manchin, Scott did. The, the one they keep claiming Joe Manchin is the only one to worry about because we're to believe there are no more blue dog Democrats. Stop it. Thank you. Much love to you. Thank sister. you. Okay, thank you, Otis. Good to hear from you. Um, you know, we 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 have got to flush it, flush it, flush it out. Um. Um, okay, let's hear some more from um, Tim Scott to understand exactly what's going on here. United Nation, to lower the temperature, to govern for all Americans, no matter how we voted. This was the pitch. You just heard it again. But our nation is starving for more than empty platitudes. We need policies and progress that brings us closer together. But three months in, the actions of the president and his party are pulling us further and further apart. I won't waste your time with finger pointing or partisan bickering. You can get that on TV anytime you want. I wanna have an honest conversation about common sense and common ground, about this feeling that our nation is sliding off its shared foundation and how we move forward together. Growing up, I never dreamed I would be standing here tonight. When I was a kid, my parents divorced. My mother, my brother, and I moved in with my grandparents, three of us, sharing one bedroom. I was disillusioned and angry, and I nearly failed out of school. But I was blessed. First was a praying mama. And, and let me say this, to the single mothers out there, who are working their tails off, working hard, trying to make the ends meet, wondering if it's worth it, you can bet it is. God bless your amazing effort on part of your kids. I was also blessed by a Chick-fil-A operator, John Moniz, and finally with a string of opportunities that are only possible here in America. This past year, I've watched COVID attack every rung of the ladder that helped me up. So many families have lost parents and grandparents too early. So many small businesses have gone under. Becoming a Christian transformed my life, but for months, too many churches were shut down. Most of all, I'm saddened that millions of kids have lost a year of learning when they could not afford to lose a single day. Locking vulnerable kids out of the classroom is locking adults out of their future. Our public schools should have reopened months ago. Other countries did. Private and religious schools did. Science has shown for months that schools are safe. But too often, powerful grown-ups set science aside 
and kids like me were left behind. The clearest case I've seen for school choice in our lifetimes, because we know that education is the closest thing to magic in America. Last year, under Republican leadership, we passed five bipartisan COVID packages. Congress supported our schools, our hospitals, saved our economy, and funded Operation Warp Speed, delivering vaccines in record time. All five bills got 90, 90 votes in the Senate. Common sense found common ground. In February, Republicans told President Biden we wanted to keep working together to finish this fight. But Democrats wanted to go it alone. They spent almost $2 trillion on a partisan bill that the White House bragged was the most liberal bill in American history. Only 1% went to vaccinations, no requirement to reopen schools promptly. COVID brought Congress together five times. This administration pushed us apart. Another issue that should unite us is infrastructure. Republicans support everything you think of when you think of infrastructure. Roads, bridges, ports, airports, waterways, high-speed broadband. We're in for all of that. But again, Democrats want a partisan wish list. They won't even build bridges to build bridges. Less than 6% of the president's plan goes to roads and bridges. It's a liberal wish list of big government waste, plus the biggest job-killing tax hikes in a generation. Experts say when all is said and done, it would lower wages of the average American worker and shrink our economy. Tonight, we also heard about a so-called family plan, even more taxing, even more spending, to put Washington even more in the middle of your life, from the cradle to college. The beauty of the American dream is that families get to define it for themselves. We should be expanding opportunities and options for all families, not throwing money at certain issues because Democrats think If he had said our, if he had said common ground one more time, that is this new bipartisanship that this Republican Party is pushing, as Otis pointed out, to give comfort to Democrats who want to quash H.R. 1, quash the George Floyd bill, and to support the new Jim Crow legislation that is ripping like wildfire through this country. Our number is 347-838-9852. And tonight at our common ground, it's the matter of black traitors. That's what we are trying to get to tonight. Um, Because people who are willing to do what Tim Scott did on Tuesday night 
are people who are willing to not only turn the tide back, but place impediments in the way to ensure that we make no progress. And and they have put Tim Scott, they have made him part of the leadership. They have weaponized, they have taken this speech and assisted in weaponizing him to push back on the issue of police accountability, qualified immunity, issues of uh, police killings and police brutality in our country. So the question really becomes, um, just just how much? I mean, how, how are we going to end race discrimination and racial economic discrimination because there's some class issues that if if you can deny a black person a loan in the United States simply because they are poor, you can deny a brown person an education if you say their community doesn't make enough money, make enough to pay the level of taxes to deserve a good school, you can deny an indigenous person a job if you say it's because their credit score is too low. It is illegal to discriminate against a person because of their race, but it isn't illegal to discriminate against them because of their economic status. So when all these folks, including... Tim Scott and Candace Owens and all the rest of them, Alan West and uh, um, um, all the rest of them, uh, Glenn Lowry, when they're Jim Crowing these days in the 21st century, they're doing it under the threatening thin veil of poverty. So the question becomes, Many. And and Tim Scott brings up the issue and then dismisses the whole, the totality of systemic racism in in this society. And yes, as Otis pointed out, he is doing it. He is giving language. He is giving propaganda to those who would oppose any progressive agenda that liberates black people. Now, systemic racism, it's a concept people have been hearing a lot about. And while most black people believe it is believe it to be a persistent reality, many whites seem uncertain about it. And the goal of the rebuttal by Tim Scott was to simply make them more comfortable. And then, of course, there are those who 
flatly reject the idea, including key figures uh, that came out of the Trump administration who deny its existence when asked about it in the wake of all these current uprisings. Let's start with some questions. Did the speech, the rebuttal, on Tuesday night give pause to people who think systemic racism was ever a thing in America? Tim Scott helped people believe that if there was such a thing at one time, that it stopped being a thing today. Tim Scott delivered the propaganda that the passage of laws against systemic our constructive racism that there were laws that were passed that ended that behavior that we have laws against murder, rape, robbery, assault, tax evasion, drunk driving, all kinds of things, but millions of people still commit these crimes even though such acts are punishable often with serious jail time. So, why would anti-discrimination laws effectively end racial discrimination? He simply posed those questions. And he, he also had the base, the people who are supporting these voter, regist- voter suppression laws, the people who support the police, he, he posed the question, are people more opposed to being racist than they're being murderers, rapists, child molesters, or burglars? Our number is 347 in an era, and we should make no mistake about it, that in the United States we've entered an era of new McCarthyism that blames nearly every political problem on something else. A difference, uh, as I see it, from the McCarthyism of the 1950s is that the new McCarthyism has has enlisted Democrats, liberals, and even progressives in in their cause because of the disgust with former President uh, Donald Trump. The 1950s version was driven by Republicans and the right with much of the left on the receiving end, maligned by the likes of Senator Joe McCarthy as un-American or communist. So um, in in that context, um, we have a, we are living in an era in, 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 in that wants to return to a tradition 
of values of under the guise of smaller government, under the guise of economic stress on the U.S. on the U.S. debt, uh, under the guise of bipartisan bipartisanship, under the guise of we can all get along, under the guise of uh, police brutality being something which is not systemic. And he is selling that. The other thing that they are selling, as I tried to uh, help Jay, uh, to as I commented to Jay, is they are weaponizing him to be the leadership to dispel black truth. What what better weapon would it be? So, um, you know, I've been watching this guy um, for a long time. By the Heritage Action Poll, when he ran for Senate, Scott had a 93% approval rating. And this is a political action group that's tied to the Dement Heritage Foundation. And it was the highest among Southern South Carolina's congressional delegation. So he is in a position now, now that he has been pretty much invisible and not having much utility, uh, here he comes talking about his past from poverty in a single-parent household and living with his grandparents and flunking school, um, finding a mentor in a fast food business uh, owner and starting his business, his own business before he was elected as a Charleston County um, councilman. And the Republicans now are fulfilling their hope that Scott will rise in the GOP, will help to diversify the party and appeal to the conservative social values held by many black people. Um, he 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 does he has earned and does get an awful lot of um, publicly uh, public scorn for his alliance with uh, the DOP. But there is we have to keep in mind there is a good strong conservative streak in in Black Americans and in the Black community and the faith community in particular. And many blacks, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, view the Republican Party with suspicion, but also recognize that many times they agree on on certain issues, issues of immigration, issues of reproductive um, uh, reproductive rights. So Nikki Haley handed him her seat. 
she appointed Scott a first-term congressman representing the state's first district to fill the position until his election, which which could would decide who finishes the remaining two years of Dement of um, Senator Dement's term. Um, so the question becomes whether or not he will enjoy whether or not he will enjoy the um, formidable position of being the H I N C in the Republican Party. They would like for that to happen. They would like for that to happen. So our number is 347-838-9852. And um, we will take your calls. Um, and I just want to remind, I mean, this is not new. I don't want people to think that (coughs) it's new. It's not new. Um, But it is certainly something in... In, in in the in this time that is very very um worrisome um, we have got to be vigilant around who is sponges essentially it sponges. Um, our voice. And Jay is absolutely right. There are lots of governors, DeKemp, DeClantis, I love to call him DeClantis, um, who are now trying to replace um replace um, Donald Trump. And he is part of the strategy to make that happen. Um, And it's unfortunate that we don't recognize it. It really is unfortunate that we don't recognize it. Um, our number is three four seven eight three eight nine eight five two.
black people have the bad habit of loving everybody else's cause. And no, and if you think about it, who loves us back? What 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 racial group loves us back? Is there one race in America that loves black people as much as they hate them? Because all hate us, but does any love us? See, I don't know of anybody that loves us, but I know we love every group that don't love us. We love Jews. We love the Irish. We love white people in general. We love the police. Um, we, we, we love, um, you know, our white Christian brothers and sisters. Black people will love a cop that killed their son in the courtroom like Botham John. We'll love a white man that prays with us for three hours and then kills us in Charleston. We'll love a man, a white man with a gun who could have easily let my son not be paralyzed, but we'll love a white man who shoots my son in Kenosha seven times in the back at the, in front of his children and paralyze him. And before I sit down for my interview with Mr. Crump, my attorney, I forgive the white cop that shoots him and says he needs training. That's some black forgiveness that no white person has ever demonstrated. In fact, Ms. Graham, I sat here and watched last night the footage of the Black Panther Party, as it related on YouTube to Fred Hampton, and they talked about the two New York police court officers who were killed by some New York Panthers. One was black and one was white cop. The, uh, the white wife uh, was on the recording talking about the murder of her husband and the, fate, the parole of the brother who's still in, he's still in prison for 49 years from the Black Panther killing of a NYPD. And the white woman sat there and said, I don't forgive him. I'm never going to forgive him. When he dies, his God, whatever God he believes in, their God can take care of them. That's a white person. A black person is the black people in Charleston Church forgave that devil, and that's what he was, a devil. He, they forgave that devil before their blood dried. The, same, the sun was still up, and the word went out to all black America, we forgive him. And half black people were angry, and the other half of y'all that go to church and that are Christian were like, well, Lord, I know, I understand. That, that's what we're supposed to do. That, that's what the Bible teaches, right? But how come we're the only ones that learned it? How come, how come the white man ain't learned to be forgiving? In all your black life, and you 75 years old, mama, you 72 years old, daddy, you 48 years old, uh, brother, and you ain't never in your black life seen a white man stand up at a press conference on CNN or Fox or MSNBC and say, I forgive the brother, the black man that shot my daughter, or I forgive the black man that robbed my house, or I forgive the black man that killed my police officer husband. You'll never see it because they don't have it in them. But I've given you five examples randomly that happened with us just in the Black Lives Matter movement. Martin Luther King's whole philosophy was around, um, you know, letting the racists kill us. King believed that we should love the racists even as he's killing us. That's how sick Martin Luther King's ideology was. That was ridiculous. I don't know what Martin Luther King was thinking. And that's why a lot of people rejected it. King believed in unmerited suffering was redemptive, meaning if the racist is killing you, love him to death. Now, I ain't got that kind of religion. I ain't got that kind of faith. I ain't got that kind of Bible. And I'm just saying to you, black people are expected to have that kind of deep faith. White people aren't. White people aren't expected to forgive. Why? Why aren't white people, when we do wrong in society, crime, or anything, why are, we, why are they not expected to forgive? And why do white people never forgive? 
But black people forgave in Botham John and in Charleston and in Kenosha. When we do wrong in society, crime, or anything, why are, we, why are they not expected to forgive? And why do white people never forgive? But black people forgave in Botham John and in Charleston and in Kenosha. Why? And I like the way you work it, just like all day, every day. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. You're blowing my mind, maybe in time, baby, I can get you in my ride. I like the way you work it. And we do thank you for being with us. We thank Jay and Otis for their calls and house music lover all over. We've been all over the country uh, tonight. I do want to talk to you about what's going on with our common ground. We are looking at the possibility of moving to a an earlier time. We're trying to figure out, um, other than the factor uh, having to do with uh, competing with 52,000 other podcasts, broadcasts, um, uh, to try to see if our mission is on course. We do trust our struggle. However, we need to um, do an analysis. I mean, when you're 35 years old, uh, you need to take a, a good inventory of what's working and what's not working. And right now my assessment is that um, we might be in the wrong place at the wrong time, and we need to figure that out. A lot of the people that we would uh, normally um, um, use as um a marketing attraction to the show. Everybody's got their own podcast now. I mean, um, and I am quite enjoying This Is Revolution with Jason Miles and Pascal Robert uh, and some other uh, live on the YouTubes and on the Facebook uh, discussions. Uh, I, I just have this uh, um, urge um, to hear what other people are, are saying. Many of you who've been with me for a long time know that um, I listen to talk radio all day long, all day, from the time that I wake up in the morning until it's time to get serious about news reporting in the evening. Um which is why I end up starting to watch uh, whatever is on television around 12, 12.30 in the morning, and then I move on to the music, and it makes my day a very long day. But next week there will be no live edition of Our Common Ground Um honoring um, the annual 
celebration of Mother's Day. Uh, I hope that all of you out there will um, take some time to honor the woman in your life who has given you the richness of your life. Oftentimes, that is not a biological mother. Um, but in in our community especially, mothers and women pay a very, very special uh, role. Uh, women who do right by their children and the children in their communities and the children in their faith communities and the children who they come in contact in regard to their professional work and careers, it is quite a challenge to be a black mother. Um, It is one of the most challenging of all undertakings in this country. And we hope that you will take the time uh, to honor a woman who has enriched your life, who has placed the golden ribbon that runs through it and that helps you to fly. Uh, My family is uh, journeying down here in Florida Stan, <laughs> um, but but I'm I'm doing a lot of local work. Um, one of my daughter's um, classmates from a time that we lived here in Florida. Um, she was the president of her class in the ninth grade, and he was the vice president. And he is now running for the seat previously held by Representative. Al C. Hastings, you might recognize him. It's Elvin Dowling, who did uh, a show for a year at TruthWorks Network. Have a great week and a wonderful Mother's Day weekend, and we'll be right back here on the 14th. I hope to hear from you, because as always, I'll be listening. For you. Thank you for joining us at Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Nowhere do we need common ground more desperately than in our discussions of race. joining us here at our common ground tonight we'll see you right here 10 p.m on our common ground next saturday i'm janice grant and i'll be listening for you